morning, I invite you to take your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 32 to 43, as we're going to be looking at this morning, Acts chapter 9, verse 32 to 43. Uh, great to be back. I am Pastor Mark, um, if you've forgotten. Um, and we were we spent the last two weeks in Michigan, northern Michigan, which is Mar- where Marion is from. It is lake territory, real lake. First time Marion came out here, you can see 20 feet down in their water the first time i brought her out here we went canoeing and she thought uh she said is the water contaminated i said no babe it's cedar water you know it's actually clear i i at least i hope it's clear it's the roots of the cedar trees and everything else but they have real water up there i mean it's really clear but we spent two weeks and we had taken our jet ski out. Our jet ski goes 70 miles an hour. So we had a lot of fun wowing the grandkids, nephews and nieces. I didn't have to tube at all. So it was safe. Um, so it was great. We had a great time. I, I'm really excited about what we saw earlier in the service, this focus on service serving. Uh, the flyer you got this morning tells you a little bit more about it. It's a whole month long focus. Really appreciate the work of Lisa Myers, uh, Pastor Tim, Ben Painter, in putting the videos together. This was the first of a number of videos we'll be seeing in our service relating to serving. And we are really believing God uh, for an exciting fall and church year this year. Uh, We are looking to expand some things. One of those is children's ministry to be not only during the 9 o'clock service, but uh, during the 1030 service lots of other opportunities to serve. Uh, I hope you'll take it to heart and possibly come to that meet and greet on September 21st, where they're going to have ministry leaders just sharing ways you can get more involved in the ministry here. We're returning this morning to the book of Acts. Uh, Really appreciate the ministry of Pastor Joe, Josiah, and Pastor Ben the last two weeks as they continued our series in the spirit at work to the ends of the earth, which is our theme for the book of Acts. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 32 to 43. Many of you are Lord of the Rings fans, as am I. Uh, You know J.R.R. Tolkien. You may not know that J.R.R. Tolkien was a veteran of World War I, and he was a British soldier in the trenches during World War I. And as he spent his time there in the gruesome and grunt involvement of those trenches, he gained a tremendous respect for the everyday soldier, the unknown, faithful, courageous soldiers that carried out their individual acts of faithful duty. When the war was won, he felt strongly that the heroes of the war were those unsung, unknown undecorated men that really served in those trenches and really were the means of the victory of World War I. As a result, those enlisted men, those uh, unknown servicemen, became the model for his heroes in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's interesting, in the book, in the end of the Lord of the Rings, in the last book, The Return of the King, the people that are most decorated are not the kings and the lords and the magicians. They are the little guys, the hobbits, 
before whom, if you remember one of the most meaningful scenes at the end of the book or the end of the movie, if you've seen it, is actually the, the, the king has everyone bow before these four little hobbits, Sam and Frodo and Mary and Pippin, honoring them for their service and the way that they had influenced the war, which had been successful. Tolkien said it this way, and Sam Gamgee was his least decorated um, of the hobbits, the, the, the smallest, the least influential in terms of wealth and power and prestige. But he said this, my Sam Gamgee is indeed a reflection of the English soldier, of the privates and servicemen I knew in the 1914 war. The hobbits were made small to show in creatures of very small physical power the amazing and unexpected heroism of ordinary men in a pinch. These minor characters influenced the world of the great lords and warriors and magicians of Tolkien's Middle-earth. We are looking in this series right now in Acts chapter 8 to 12, those chapters. It is a second thrust of the spirit as he is taking the message of the gospel through the world. In chapters 1 through 7, the power of the spirit has been manifested in the city of Jerusalem. But in Acts chapter 8 through 12, God is taking the gospel forth beyond the borders of the city to the surrounding areas of Judea, the province around Jerusalem, Samaria. And he is doing it by hobbits. He is doing it by people that are not kings or priests or generals or politicians or business leaders, just ordinary smaller folk. And as Ben mentioned last Sunday, these five chapters in Acts 8 through 12 actually tell the story of three individuals. If we can bring up that visual. Philip, Saul, who later became Paul and Peter. You might think, well, uh, they seem like pretty prominent guys. That's because we know them because of their faith in Jesus. But these weren't kings or priests or generals or politicians or business magnates. These were individual guys. Now, Philip, interestingly, probably was the most likely to be a prominent citizen, the father of a large family a homeowner, respectable, admired as a good man in the community, obviously by the, the recognition he has given to uh, by the people. There's Saul, Paul, a cold-hearted, ambitious, fanatical scholar who became the hitman for the religious leaders in their attempt to stamp out the cancerous influence of Jesus' followers in and around Jerusalem. He was not a particularly likable person, he was a striver, uptight, aggressive. But as Joe and, and Ben shared with us in Acts chapter 9 in the verses up to this passage this morning, he was converted to Jesus Christ and embraced him as the Messiah. And in so doing, the great challenger of the church became one of its great champions. The third guy is a tempestuous extrovert whose words often burst out of the blocks well in advance of his thinking and who was intimidated regularly 
by other people's opinions. This morning, Dr. Luke takes us to the third guy, Peter, as we see, as Ben mentioned last week, that the, what we're seeing in, in, in Acts chapter 8 through 12 is, is like, a, like, like a good series where you watch and, and you have all these different storylines going on. And he jumps from one storyline of Philip and, and then he pulls in Peter and, and, and then he pulls back and he talks about Paul and, and then he jumps back and he talks about Peter and all this storyline is going on. Well, we're jumping to Peter now who he has he's been silent about for a while. And in this passage, we are actually seeing the preview to what is going to happen in Acts chapter 10 and 11. And I want to give you this preview. I'm preaching it next Sunday, and I'm excited about it, because Acts chapter 10 and 11 presents to us one of the most momentous events in the book of Acts, but more than that, in the entire Scripture. It is, the, it is the changing where God is removing the barrier between Jews and the nations. People no longer need to become Jews to become a part of God's people. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah is available as a Savior and King for everyone because of what happens in Acts chapter 10. Now, just, just wetting your whistle with this. What happens in Acts chapter 10? has incredible impact in your life. As a matter of fact, if Acts chapter 10 and 11 don't happen, you're not attending a church today to learn about Jesus. You're attending a Jewish synagogue that happens to believe Jesus is the Messiah. You would have to become a Jewish convert to accept Jesus as your Messiah and Savior. If Acts 10 and 11 didn't happen, you're not reading from a New Testament book because there aren't New Testament books because just about all of them were written to Gentiles. And on a personal level, you're not sitting out there listening to a pastor, you're listening to Rabbi Mark. Acts 10 is big. It's momentous. It enables us to be embraced into the people of God. We're the goyim, which means the nations. We're the guys that in past generations, Israel was called to eradicate. But now we've been invited in because of the experience that is declared by God through a Roman soldier in his home. But prior to that, God has Acts chapter 9 with Peter. Peter's going to be the guy that's the central figure in, 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 in championing what happens in Acts chapter 10 to the entire church. But today we're looking at the passage that's the preview of that. And it is a passage that tells us how God prepared the way for this big event in Acts 10. I think it's a passage that actually is incredibly practical for us. Because a lot of us are waiting for the big things to happen. A lot of us are, are waiting for God to move, for God to answer, for God to, to move in the lives of loved ones we have, to do the big movement. But there are practical lessons here in the way God is at work prior 
2. So in the prior two, here's what we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 31 and following. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room, since Lydda was near Joppa. The disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come down to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tenor. Lord, we come to you this morning. And God, I pray as we, we think about this prior to passage and why you've included it, and why you had these things happen in preparation for what is going to happen in Acts 10 and 11. God, I pray you'd speak practically, applicationally into our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What we find in Acts chapter 9, verse 32 to 43 is the work that God did in the moment in the circumstances, and secondly, the work that God did in the messenger. God at work in the moment. God at work in the moment first is seen in the big stuff. Acts chapter 9 verse 31 tells us that. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. This is what's going on. Saul has become a believer. Peter has continued to do his thing. Philip's doing his. The other apostles are doing their ministry. Lots going on. And it culminates in this amazing statement. The church is expanding. But it's an interesting thing. In this verse, in verse 31, the term the church is different from its other usages in the the, uh, book of Acts and much of the New Testament. Here, It is used in the singular. It is not churches. It is in the singular, and it is not talking about one church in a town. It's talking about the church in the big church, the whole church. And he's saying the whole people of God, the church as one is expanding in Judea and Samaria and Galilee. And if we can bring up this map, you just have a simple picture The church has expanded from Jerusalem there in the middle throughout the area of Judea. It spread up into Samaria and then up in the top, and it would continue up farther, the area of Galilee. And he's saying the church, the one people, God's kingdom in Christ is expanding. 
And God has been working this. In Judea and Galilee, the southern and northern of these three provinces were all Jewish. But the middle one, Samaria, has been quasi-Jewish, if you will. I mentioned that in Acts chapter 8. These were a people, the Samaritans, who were sort of hybrids. They had built into their faith aspects of Judaism. They viewed themselves as part of it. They were circumcised. They, they participated in, in some of the practices of, of the Jewish faith. They believed in the Torah, the first five books of the law. It was their guidance for faith and practice. And they were looked at as a sect of Judaism, often looked down by the purebred Jews of Jerusalem. But Peter and John had gone up to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, and Peter had seen for himself, this is real. And he saw what I called a, a Samaritan Pentecost, where the Spirit came upon the people, and they spoke in the sign gifts and manifested the same work that had happened at the day of Pentecost. And Peter, his, his, his perspective has grown. He's like, wow, the gospel of Jesus isn't just the kingdom of Christ, isn't just for what we understand as Jews. It's even for the hybrids, the Samaritans. God has been working. God has been expanding the church. He is doing this. He is also expanding un, one, the understanding of the Jews in terms of what he is going to do in Acts chapter 10. He's been doing things in a big picture way, but he also is doing it in the details. If you look at that visual again, if we can just hold that there, bring that back for a second, you'll know the white, the white path. First, it goes up vertically and, uh, to Samaria, the city of Samaria, and then comes back down. That was Peter. Peter went up there in Samaria. He saw what was going on with the hybrid Jews, that they had truly embraced the gospel. He's come back to Jerusalem. Now he's on another trip. And this is what we're reading about. It's that trip that is going westward towards the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Lydda is the first city we'll see. The second is Joppa. But if you look at that map and you follow your way up along the coastline, you see a little town called Caesarea. That's where this Roman centurion is, is living, a guy over a bunch of Roman legionnaires, Cornelius, that we're going to read about in Acts chapter 10. And God is leading him first to Lydda, then to Joppa, and then the next place is going to be Caesarea. God is working in all of this. God is motivating, moving things, shaping things all towards what is going to transpire in Acts chapter 10 and 11. As I reflected on that, and, and one of the questions that commentators have is, why did Luke include at the end of chapter 9 these two healing events? I mean, Peter's been healing people. He's been doing all this. Why, why not just go right to the, 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 the home run, you know, the Cornelius story? Why does he include he is trying to say God is at work. He is preparing the way. He's doing it circumstantially. He is also going to be doing it within Peter himself. God is moving in all the details of chapter 9 just as much as God is going to be moving in Acts chapter 10. I read a, an account recently by Tim Keller that he, he made a number of years ago where he was highlighting what, what is called the providence of God. 
The fact that God is at work in all things to accomplish his purposes, and the word providence is the word provide, to provide good things. I want to just read what he shared. He said, God's plan includes little things. It has to. Most of us don't think of this in this way. Everything, it says in Proverbs 16, the lot is cast in the lap, but the disposal is of the Lord's. That means even when you flip a coin, if it comes down heads or it comes down tails, it was part of his plan. Nothing is left out of his plan. Okay, that's the first thing I want to stress. Let me push it a little bit. People say, come on, nothing? Are you telling me the tie Tim Keller is wearing today was part of God's plan for all eternity? Are you trying to tell me the shoes I decided to wear today were part of God's plan, little things like that? Well, they're only little things to you and me because we're so unwise. There are no little things. In 1912, somebody tried to shoot Teddy Roosevelt, and they did. They shot him in the chest. Do you know why he lived? Because he happened to have his glasses case on this side instead of on this side. Your marriages, your careers, what school you go to very often are based on so-called little things. Let me give you a quick example. The reason I'm a Presbyterian minister was because of a particular faculty member that came to my seminary my last semester and pushed me over the edge when it came to my theological understanding. I decided, I think I need to be a Presbyterian. That's the reason I'm here today, pastoring a Presbyterian church. Why did that faculty member come? The only reason he came that year was he was British and he was having a lot of trouble getting a passport to come and teach at my seminary in Massachusetts. But somebody pulled strings for him from real high up. One day, somebody came out looking for him, calling his name out. Somebody came out when he was standing in this long line and called him in and said, you're going to be in America within a week. We got word from real high up. Well, do you know who that was? It was a guy named Mike Ford. Mike Ford was the son of the president of the United States at the time. Mike Ford was the son of Gerald Ford. Mike Ford was a student at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where I was. He found a way to get this particular faculty member to Gordon-Conwell because his father was the president. Do you know why his father was the president? Because of the Watergate scandal. Nixon had resigned, and Gerald Ford was the president. That's the reason Mike Ford had the clout to get this guy over there. That's the reason why he was there. That's the reason I became a Presbyterian. That's the reason I'm talking to you right now. Why did Nixon fall? Because some stupid Watergate burglar left the door open one night, and some guard, some guard noticed the door was open. Now, what if that guard hadn't gone by that day? Maybe he went by that day because that morning he didn't eat breakfast and he got in a little bit early. Do you see? I wouldn't be here if that guard hadn't seen that door open. That's the way everything in your life is. God is at work in the details. God is working his plan. You may say, I I can't begin to understand. Nope. I can't put all this together, Mark. Nope. You can't. You're not asked to. You're asked to just say, wow, he's big. And here I am in Acts 9, and and, this is cool, and there's some cool things Peter's going to do, but wow, 
It's the Acts 10 things I want to be a part of. It's the Acts 10. I want God to do the Acts 10 big stuff. Change my family. Work in my, in my work. Answer my concerns. Show me the way. Do the movement. But God's at work all the time. God is at work in the details in Tim Keller's life, in Peter's life, in your life. Right now, God is orchestrating circumstances in your life for what he plans to do later. Acts 10 is momentous. But God's just as big in Acts chapter 9. And God is also at work in his messenger. God is authenticating his messenger. We see what God was doing through Peter. It's important to remember the unique role of the apostles. I've said this before. In the book of Acts, it often talks about the signs of the apostles healings, exorcism, passing on the gift of, of, of tongues and others to authenticate their position as messengers of a new era in God's dealing with humans. I've mentioned to you that, that there are three eras of history where God did spectacular signs in order to inaugurate a new messaging. It was the time of Moses, and, and there you have the plagues of Egypt and all that God did and the man in the wilderness and the Red Sea crossing and all that stuff. And, and in Acts chapter 7, Stephen talks about the signs of Moses, the prophet. The, only, the next, that was a period of miraculous happenings, authenticating the messenger. We fast forward a number of centuries to a time of Elijah and Elisha. And there were signs and miracles. If you think historically through the Bible, you'll find there were all kinds of miracles in Moses' day. And then there's not much. And then you come to Elijah and Elijah, and there's all this stuff going on again, calling fire down from Mount Carmel, throwing an axe head that's floating in, in the water, and all kinds of other things he's doing. And again, there are signs as they were beginning the prophetic message for Israel. And then you fast forward centuries again to the time of Jesus and the apostles. And again, there are these spectacular demonstrations that just authenticate the messengers. Luke is highlighting some of the authenticating activities that Peter is doing here. And it's almost as if he wants to say, look, I'm going to tell you in Acts chapter 10 about what Peter saw. Remember who Peter was. Remember who, who, who God made him. He is authenticated by very unique miracles. One of those is found here in verses 20, 32 to 34, 35. And what happens when he comes to this little town, Lydda, is he comes to a man that is paralyzed. This man is, uh, it says in verse 33, bedridden for eight years, who is paralyzed. Now, there are four different types, four different uh, categories of paralysis that, that most medical people identify with. One is monoplegia, which is a type of paralysis that impacts one limb, such as an arm or leg. There's hemoplegia is a paralysis that imparts one, impacts one side of your body, um, at least parts of that one side. There is what we call paraplegia, 
is a paralysis that affects all part of the trunk, legs, and pelvic organs, often the result of a, a, a significant spinal cord injury. And then, of course, the most severe quadriplegia is a paralysis of oral, all four. Quadra is four. All four of our limbs, both arms, both legs, basically the entire body is paralyzed. I don't know which of these this guy had, but I know it's either number three or four. He is either a paraplegic or a quadriplegic. He is utterly bedridden for eight years, undoubtedly because he's a grown man. This happened well into his life. He had a severe injury, probably a spinal cord injury. Everybody in the town knows about this. It's a little town. Lit is not a big place. Everybody knows about this guy. They know that this guy is stuck in bed, unable to get out. Every day for eight years, they've had to roll him to protect him from getting bed sores. They've had to wipe him and wash him and care for him because he can't do that for himself. He's lived in the, in the, in the bondage of a body that is trapped there. And then in one of the most beautiful pictures that I think in the book of Acts, Peter says to him, rise up and make your bed. I just thought, I love that phrase. This is a guy that can't move for eight years. And the Lord says, man, rise up. And the first thing to do, turn around. You make your own bed today. You do your own life today. You're not dependent on anybody today. Can you imagine what this moment was for this man? And the word spreads. And people are overwhelmed with the, the miraculous power that, it, that is manifested in all the residents of Lydda and Sharon and Sorum. And they turned to the Lord. It authenticated Peter. And it authenticated him primarily because it gave him a miracle that paralleled, that was a sign in the same way, a similar miracle by Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 8 where he says to there, a man in paralysis, he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. He also authenticated him here in verse 35 to 42. Here it's a Christian woman named Tabitha. This is the next town over. It's on the seaside now, just south of Caesarea. It's where they hear about him up in Caesarea. And here again, Peter is is authenticated as a messenger of God in a most amazing way. Here he actually has the capacity. He does this with one person. Paul will later do this with one person. He actually has the power to raise somebody back from the dead. It's a Christian woman named Tabitha. It's a striking passage that also has obvious overtones and reminisces of what took place by Elijah and Elisha. Listen to this account. It says this in these verses about Peter when he raises Tabitha or Dorcas up. It says, um, but Peter in verse 40 put them all outside in the bedroom and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body said, Tabitha arise and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. In 2 Kings 4, verse, 20, 30, verse 32 and following, this happened with Elijah. Elijah came into the house. He saw the child lying dead in his bed. So he went in, shut the door behind him, the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. 
and the boy was raised from the dead. It happened with Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed, prayed over him, and the boy was raised. Luke is intentionally trying to say, God is authenticating Peter to be a messenger of the message that he's going to be given in Acts 10 and 11 with these spectacular acts, just like he did with Jesus, just like he did with Elijah and Elisha. God also is adjusting his messenger. Look at verse 43. Just an interesting side note that Luke sort of throws in there. And Peter is staying in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. A tanner was a guy, um, tans hides, basically takes dead animals, cleans out, take, cuts off the fur, the skin, cleans the flesh off it, and basically tans it, you know, get the hide ready to be put into clothes. It actually was a, a profession that one often was declared unclean in the Jewish faith because you did it because you weren't supposed to be around dead bodies. Yet Simon is in this guy's house. And again, I just feel like God is progressively working in the heart of Simon. First, he sends him to Samaria and says, you know, the Jews that you think are hybrids and are outsiders, they're getting the gospel. They're being brought in. Now I'm going to put you in the house of a guy that, 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 some of those historically oral tradition adherents think is, is, is unclean. We're going to put you there again. All of that is preparing Peter for what's coming in Acts chapter 10 and 11. But God is adjusting his messenger. The other thing I see in this passage is God is working circumstantially, but God is also working in his man, in his messenger. Whatever's going on in your life right now, whatever's not going on that you want to be going on, God has ordained that that would be a part of deepening your life message for him. John Wesley was addressed by a bunch of students once. How can we, how can we really be, you know, have the influence in the gospel that you have? And, and Wesley just said to them, Deepen your life message. God will broaden your ministry. God is deepening Peter's life message. He's growing him. Are you letting him do that with you? Are you in circumstance? You're saying, Lord, this isn't necessarily how I'd want it, or I just feel like I'm sort of on the, on the outside looking in, or nothing exciting is going on in my Christian life. I, I want to be making a difference. And the Lord says, wait, are you embracing the moment so what are our takeaways from this text? This too, I think. There's something we need to remember and there's something we need to do. We need to remember God was at work in all these circumstances. God is at work. You may find yourself today in the prelude. It feels like the prelude of Acts 9. There's so much you long to see God do and so many questions you need him to answer. There's unresolved issues, unanswered prayers, unchanged loved ones, unclear paths ahead. It seems God is not at work, at least not in the way that you would hope. God is at work. God is moving. 
Remember, God does not waste experiences. What is going on in your life right now is what you would pray for if you knew everything that God does. We need to remember. And secondly, we need to embrace. We need to embrace the moment. This I'm closing. There's a 28-year-old young man along with four other pilots who had left Wheaton Ah, they were hot for Christ. They went down with their young families to minister in Ecuador, South America. And one of them had written a statement that became a famous phrase afterwards. It was this statement said by Jim Elliott, wherever you are, be all there. He didn't know that a few months later, what God was going to do was to allow he and the other four missionary pilots to fly in and, and, and bring their, their plane down, uh, their seaplane down on, on a sandbar on a river in the middle of Ecuador. And the, minute, and the, and, and the, the tribe of the people that they were trying to reach with the gospel were going to brutally slay all five of them. He didn't know that the result of that would be that their story would be the cover story for Life magazine, would literally go around the world. He didn't know that his death and the death of his other four friends would be the catalyst for the greatest migration to world missions among adults that happened in a century. He wouldn't know that. But he did know this, that wherever he was, in whatever he was doing, he wanted to be wherever he was, all there. Are we all there? Are we all there today? Are we saying, God, all I see is what you're not doing. All I see is what you're not answering. All I see is where you're not. He says, I'm here. Remember, I'm always at work. Remember to embrace this moment and say, God, right here in Acts chapter 9. I really want to be in an Acts 10 or Acts 2 with Pentecost. Oh, oh, no, he says, right here. Are you all there? Are you all in? Because just like Tim Keller reminds us and Dr. Luke reminds us, God is working. God is working. God is working. Are we looking? Are we embracing? Are we available for all that he has right now? Lord, we look to you today. You're a big God. You rule the cosmos. And yet you arrange the little circumstances of our lives. We have no idea how you do it. But Lord, we want to live our lives as if there really is a big God that is orchestrating our circumstances. We want to live with that faith. We want to be all there. So Lord, for the many maybe that feel discouraged and feel they're languishing in their Christian journey. God, sound the siren to call us back to wholeheartedness towards you. 
stir our hearts, say, God, right here, right now, I want to be your man. I want to be your woman. I want to be your young person. I want to be all there. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now go in peace to love and serve and enjoy the Lord.